Good morning. How many of you have, have been shocked that every week you get a surprise speaker? I, I got to thank J, uh, Jay and Eric for speaking the last few weeks. Um, Eric's actually going to be here at the church this week for something else. But uh, I, uh, I am so thankful to them. I have to tell you something because I think it's hilarious. So Jay, Aaron, and myself played a practical joke on Eric Hall last week. If you were here last week, you noticed he was dressed a little fancy, right, for sunlight. We told him that we like our speakers wearing suits, okay? He didn't find out till he got here. It was Jay started it, so me and Aaron are not that cruel, but it was pretty funny, and I heard that Jay's going to get pranked back somehow, so I, I don't know what's going to happen yet, but I figured you guys would want to know, why, why is this speaker wearing a suit? I, we haven't seen a suit. So... One more thing that I'd, I'd like to mention, I, I am so thankful to those of you that have sent cards, texted me, called, or given our family meals over the last few weeks. It's kind of been a whirlwind of different things. I, I'm almost to the point where like, I felt like I was going to be in quarantine forever. And you know, it makes you kind of feel like you need to go to the insane asylum. And then I kept thinking about the Joker and Batman. Oh, that's a track I won't go today. Okay. So... Uh, I'm just thankful for the people that, that were able to bring us meals the last few weeks. Um, thankfully, we're all healthy, so uh, that was a good thing after a few weeks of, of having different uh, things happen. And so um, we also know that many of us, maybe if you're watching online, maybe you're sick, maybe you've had something. We just, I mean, it just even more uh, gives, gives a purpose, as, as I've experienced it, that when you're feeling sick... Just stay home and watch us online. It's a great idea, right? It's simple as that. I know we enjoy gathering in person, but it's just another opportunity to hear the word of God preached and worship together. So let me pray as we go into our, our passage this morning. Some of you may not even know this graphic. If you visited in the last three weeks and you're wondering, who's this guy up front? My name's John Mueller. I'm the lead pastor here. Yes, I actually do work here. And uh, this graphic is actually from the first John series that we were in when we abruptly made a course turn the last few weeks. So let me, let me pray, but we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5 this morning. So we'll, we'll turn there with me. So Heavenly Father, we just come before you, and we may have walked in this room, or we may be watching online, and, and we may not know that we know where we're going when we pass from this earth. But in 1 John 5, we will know that, and we can know that. And so God, we just ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts, our minds, our souls to help us to be not just reassured, but understand the promises of God that are present in his word. We've walked in today with any number of things. If we're at home, we, we may be there because we're sick. And so we, we come to, into your presence just asking that you know, and we know that you know, what we're going through. And because of that, open our hearts to what your word says. Because you know what we're going through. You know how it needs to be applied to our life. Allow us to see that and with conviction change what we're doing and who we are. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the series we've been going through that we skipped for the last few weeks was called Prove It. And we're going to be back in this series this week, and then we're going to start a new series next week. So somehow, 
I got out of preaching for three weeks, and so you guys don't get to hear 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, so maybe we'll do that later sometime. Because we're going to start a new series next week, which I'm really, really excited about because we're starting with my favorite passage in the entire New Testament. And so we're going to be in the book of Philippians next week as we start that series. So if you have our app, maybe you have our app on, on your phone, on an iPad, flip that open. You can go to the top, click the news feed, and it goes to Uversion, which is our online event. And then you can also watch on one device if you're at home, and then also uh, on another device pull that up. So today we're going to talk about, and this is a, I feel like this is a tongue twister, so I had to practice this this week because I'm a little rusty, but the sermon title is, Do You Know That You Know? Do you know that you know? Do you know that you know? Doesn't that sound counterintuitive? Do you know that you know? Do you know that you know? Do you know that you know that you know? It just, we could just have endless conversation about that, right? But you guys would get really bored and you'd start throwing tomatoes at me, right? So... Have you ever been wrong? That's a real question. Have you ever been wrong? Any hands raised? Anyone going to... I know I'm going to require you to do some exercise today, okay? At the beginning. Ever been wrong? Come on, raise your hand. I mean, wrong when, when you didn't think you were wrong until later. Has that ever happened? <laughs> As a parent, it's, it's constant. Trying to figure out which kid did what? Are you kidding me? That's, that's impossible. No, they did it. There's fingers pointing every direction. Except for at themselves, right? It, that's the same thing we do with sin and God. But if your hand is still up when you, you were wrong later, have you ever been so certain and then you realize you're wrong? What's the feeling you feel? You ever just feel like, <sighs> you're just deflated because you realize that you, you were totally wrong and now you've got to go to this person and you feel terrible about it. Sometimes we can be wrong. But I, there's one thing I don't want to be wrong about. There's plenty of other things that I'm perfectly fine with being wrong about, like who's going to win any NFL game? Have you guys watched any of the NFL? Like, who's going to win? No one knows. Like, it's like literally every week is something crazy different. I follow soccer, so soccer has been totally weird the last month. I've been wrong about a lot of things. But I don't want to be wrong about one thing, and that is my eternal destiny. So what can we really know anyways? What can we really know? We have information that we're flooded with, whether it be through uh, the media, whether it be through friends, whether it be through people that we trust, but what can we really know anyways? And John, in this passage in, in 1 John 5, 13 through 20, tells us what we can know if we follow Jesus. If we follow Jesus, and then again, you know when you follow something, you actually are walking in, in the same steps. You're not, you're not just going off on your own path, which we so easily want to do. Let me give you an example. I heard this week, and this is from uh, churches much larger than ours. A lot of them did surveys about what to do when you reopen church. And the point they made was surveys aren't going to tell you anything you don't already know. We are more divided about whether to do church or not. So let me, let me tell you this. I'm an extrovert. So the extroverts on these surveys all said, let's do church. Let's go back and gather. The introverts said, no, let's not. What are we going to do? We could, you know. And then you have, you have this full spectrum. So you can't please everybody when you're the church. You, you gathering at home are just as responsible as we are gathering here. 
we're all making a choice to gather and hear God's word preached. And so it's very important that we, as, as a church, as a community, can know what our eternal destiny is and who Jesus is. It doesn't matter where you hear that. It doesn't matter if you're at home. It doesn't matter if you're here. But I can know that with certainty in 1 John 5. So turn with me to 1 John 5, verse 13. It'll, it'll be up on the screen. And, and I almost feel like, like this, this, uh, this passage is kind of like one of those pictures that is a picture of someone holding a picture frame that's holding a picture frame that's holding a picture frame. You ever guys see those where it's like an infinity picture? So how do you know that 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 you know? There's a lot of things we can know from this passage. So if you don't normally take notes, go on the YouVersion app, do, write them down somewhere. I can send the PowerPoint to people. This is, there's a lot of things we can know from this. It's like almost an infinity picture. So it says, starting in verse 13, 1 John chapter 5, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may have eternal life. And that this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we asked of him. I'm going to stop there for a second. John gives, and not me, John. Obviously, it's not Pastor John. This is John, the Apostle John, gives reason for writing this letter he says, I write these things to you that you believe in the Son of God. That you believe in the Son of God. So that's the purpose of the sermon today. That you believe in the Son of God. It's simple as that. John is restating what the world doesn't want to accept here. And if you go back four weeks, I know that's a long time. And so, based on what I know about uh, teaching and speaking, you know about 10% of that sermon if you were here at the most. Okay, He's telling everyone that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you remember, earlier in 1 John, he's addressing the fact that, that there's these false teachers saying that Jesus isn't the Son of God. They're not saying, he's not part of the Trinity, he's, he's not the Son of God. And so he's addressing that again, and he's saying, you know that you have eternal life if you believe in him. So uh, my, my first point today is, is really simple. Jesus' followers have and know eternal life, they have confidence in Jesus, and answered prayer. Those are three things that you know if you're a follower of Jesus. And if you're here today or you're watching online and you're saying, I don't have any of those things, well, keep listening. Because there's more here and he tells you what we have. We don't have to doubt, guess, or wonder. We have certainty. You know, it's not a bet. It's, it's, it, there is certainty to this. Our confidence is in Jesus and nowhere else. And, and this was written to people just like you and me. Have you ever had a moment where you've struggled and wondered, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm going when I'm, I die. It's cliche to say this, but we have a 100% mortality rate. So it doesn't matter if it's COVID, pneumonia, cancer, uh, a car accident, alcoholism. It doesn't matter what it is that takes you out. It doesn't matter if it's old age. You are going somewhere. So everyone needs to hear this message. It's written to people struggling and doubting eternal life and their confidence in Jesus and they're doubting the answered prayer. So let me, let me shift a little bit because one of the sermons I did earlier in the series, I talked about different religions and I talked a little bit about how they don't believe Jesus is the Son of God and they also don't believe he is God. Well, well Muslims in this case have no confidence in eternal life. I've been to a mosque 
and I've been to the time that, that when the bell rings in the time of prayer, and they get on the ground, and their prayers are, Allah is merciful, because they're not sure where they're going no matter what they do. That is scary to me. They don't have confidence that they're going to be in heaven. They don't have confidence in their eternal destiny. But Christians' doubt is not rooted in the same thing. When we doubt, it's honestly because we're encountering pain or hurt or or things become difficult. But it's not because we don't, that it's not there in Scripture. Jesus, or uh, C.S. Lewis, not Jesus, C.S. Lewis, he's not even on par there. But C.S. Lewis is quoted as saying, We're not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. That is what Muslims doubt. Christians, there's no reason anywhere in Scripture to doubt that. That we're not doubting that God will do the best for us. And if you you are doubting, it's not because it's rooted in what the Word of God. It's rooted in something that you're struggling with separate from that. And he continues, we are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. Anyone identify with that? Everything I've ever experienced in life that was worth it had some type of painful experience in it. You know, think about the pain of childbirth, okay? That's described in the Old Testament by the prophets as this idea of of we're going through pain, but we're being reborn into something new. So if you think about this, it's not a question if God will follow through. It's a question of, if it's what's best for us, and if we're going to encounter pain, anyone really a glutton for punishment and just wants to run in and say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it? No. Unless you do a Tough mutter, and then it's just expected, if you've ever seen Tough mutters. <laughs> we currently have eternal life. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you pursue him, if you believe in him as the Son of God, raised from the dead, died for your sins... If you believe in him, you have eternal life that leads to confidence, that leads to answered prayer. It all starts with Jesus. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. He's the second member of the Trinity. He's all those things. And you can't take those, like, shorten the list there. We want to. You know, I was reading a book this week that was written in 1992. I know, some of you, that's ancient. There's people in this room that weren't even born then, right? 1992, and the author made a point that I think is really important before I go into John's purpose for writing this. He made a point that even then, people were turning to the television rather than any other wisdom. Not just the word of God, but even friends that are wise. They would, they would trust in a, a, a cosmopolitan magazine or a TV and get stuck spending hours in front of a screen. And this is in 1992! This is before the iPhone, which you all know how many phones you have in your house, right? <laughs> One per person, probably above 13. That's kind of like, that's the national stat. So, so you look at that, and then you go to this, where, where John shows the purpose for writing. And we should not get distracted from these purposes. The purpose for writing has four, is, there's four stages. Hearing. We actively hear the good news. If we are not hearing the good news as a church, then we cease to be the church. That is the only purpose for the church. We need to hear the good news. It needs to be you and I and we and us going and sharing with people what the good news is. 
The second part is believing. We receive the good news. Has anyone ever played the telephone game? I'm going to describe it for a second. You have a message on one end, and then you whisper into someone's ear that whispers into someone's ear that whispers into someone's ear, and you get to the other end, and the other end, the person has to tell you what the first person said. Trust me, it's hilarious. Maybe we should try it in church sometime. I should have people do it on stage, just as a side gag, and not even an illustration. It's just funny. Believing comes when we receive the message, and it's not been distorted Sometimes we're hearing messages that are like the telephone game. I heard from so-and-so, heard from so-and-so, and we're not going back to the source of the message. What does the Bible say? What does that verse that someone quoted actually say? You know how many times someone can quote a verse and it's completely out of context? What it, it, so if you're going to believe and receive the good news, you need to go back to the Word of God. The, the third part of this, the purpose of this is living, that we live the good news. And 1 John is all about we live the good news. We need to live the good news. What is the good news? That we have confidence in Jesus that he's going to answer our prayers and that we have an eternal destiny that can't be taken from us by anybody. But here's the thing is, living the good news is where most of us stop. We stop there. We're like, I'm going to live the good news. But we don't continue with this last part. And this is a struggle. I've had some, some time of self-reflection the last couple weeks. You know when you're quarantined, you start talking to the volleyballs? You never notice that? Like the, the movie Castaway? I named this, this soccer ball in our house the uh, Wilson ball. I was just, you know, I needed to reflect a little bit. So we stop at living the good news, but then there's that fourth part, knowing. We know Jesus Christ a relationship forms. You can go through life for a long period of time, and there can be fits and spurts like different parts of your life where you live for Jesus, but you still don't know him. And what I mean by that is there is a relationship. It's the relationship that says when you get hit with something disappointing, your first reaction is to go to him. When you get hit with something amazing, your first step is to praise him. When you're struggling, your first step is to talk to him. Because the relationship with him matters more than anything else on this entire earth. And if your relationship with him is strong, guess what? Your relationship with your spouse is strong. Your relationship with your kids are strong. You, you can encounter anything with Jesus. It doesn't mean there won't be pain. Didn't we just hear that? It doesn't mean there won't be pain. But God will give you the courage to do what's right and what's true. This is what's really hard about prayer. Faith accepts that God's will is best. Faith accepts that. That's the faith that I have. And trust, even when we don't understand. This year is filled with a lot of not understanding, right? Any of you really understand what's going on right now? There's so much flood of information, it seems like, every week about this and that and everything else. I think it's the worst of my lifetime. And as I talk to other pastors, this literally has been the worst year of ministry that any pastor has ever seen. Ever. In, well, again, I'm, I'm not trying to say, 
in the people that are alive right now, I'm sure there's been worse, okay? But currently, it's, it's been the, the, the most upheaval of what ministry looks like and changed. But in that, there is huge opportunity for all of us as a church. There's a huge opportunity because when we pray, God can answer our prayers and we don't even have contact with the other person. God can answer our prayers so we find out three months down the road that someone came to faith because we've been praying for them for months. There is so much opportunity. John Stott put it this way, and he passed away recently. He was an Anglican theologian from, from England. He said, prayer is not a convenient device for imposing our will upon God. Let me give you an example of imposing our will on God. God, please give blank. Give me more money, more like, like prosperity gospel. It'd be, that's the will. Or hurt this person. I've literally had people pray around me for harm to come to someone else. That's definitely imposing your will. That's not what God wants. And it says, or, and it continues, or for bending his will to ours, as if we can convince God to do what we want rather than him to do his will. And it continues, but is the prescribed way of subordinating, subordinating our will to his. Simply put, that means his will, our will. His will, our will. His will, our will. It's by prayer that we seek God's will, embrace it, align ourselves with it. Every true prayer is a variation of your will be done. Your will be done, God. And sometimes we don't like the answer and we say God didn't answer our prayer, but God did answer our prayer. We just had pain that we just went through. And we don't think that God would ever put us in a situation where we have pain. In case that is you today, read the book of Job. The end of the book of Job, the interesting thing is Job had more than he ever had before. But he lost everything. He lost everything. But God still provided for him. He survived. This confidence leads us to praying and asking God for requests. If we're asking according to his will, he hears us. This verse in here is not just a verse to read and take out of context and say, well, if I ask him, he hears me, and he's going to answer all my prayers no matter what I do. That's not what this says. Very simply. If we're asking according to his will, he hears us. And it's not just true of anyone. If you are going to the God the Father in the name of Jesus the Son, we can know he hears us. Whatever we ask according to his will will be answered. Not just answered in the future, but in the present, even though we might not see it yet. You know why I asked you the question about being wrong or finding out you're wrong later? Because sometimes we do that with God. God answers prayer for whatever reason we're not communicated with, we don't know, we don't see it yet. And when we see it, we realize God answered prayer immediately prior to that. And sometimes we need to go to him and just say, you answered prayer and I was calling you out like you didn't. God, I'm wrestling with this now. J.C. Ryle gave me perspective as I was reading these verses. Another theologian said, faith is the root and assurance is the flower. Doubtless you can never have the flower without the root, but it's no less certain that you may have the root and not the flower. Think about this quote here. So, my wife buys flowers every year. And can you imagine 
you go to Walmart, to Meyer, you go to buy a flower, and they're like, well, this is a flower, and they're like, you're like, but there's no flower. Like, there's just a root. Like, I can see the root, like, kind of at the top of the dirt, but there's no flower. I'm not buying this. That's the same thing that happens with us. When we have assurance of eternal life, when we have assurance that God answers our prayer, when we have confidence in Jesus, we have a flower. We don't just have the root. We go from living to knowing. We can still have a faith but still struggle to doubt when we pray. But I'm, I'm here to tell you something that I think we, we live life as if God is like us. So let me tell you a few things that God is like. We don't get God's voicemail. You know, I called someone this week. This is the most annoying thing, okay? I'm sorry. I'm just going to complain for a second. I haven't preached in a while. I'm pretty fired up about this. I called someone, and their voicemail box was full. And they didn't respond to text, because I don't even know if the texting was working. I'm like, how do I get a hold of this person? Who on this planet doesn't have a voicemail box that they can empty? Can't they empty it? I mean, mine has probably got voicemails from 10 years ago, and it still is not full. So I don't know. I also don't like voicemail, so that's probably why. <laughs> we don't get God's voicemail, and we never get the text response. You ever call someone, and you get the text response, can I call you later? Nope, God's right there. God's not saying, can I call you later? We never graduate from this university of prayer. I know some of us, I mean, in a, in a, a group this size are really, like, have some serious anxiety about praying in front of others or praying with others. And yet what this passage tells us is we shouldn't have any anxiety. And you know what? If we pray and it sounds funny to the other people, who cares? I mean, who cares? God doesn't. He's listening. There's no voicemail. There's no, can I call you later? We always need to pray. And prayer is not just positive vibes, okay? I mean... I have heard so much this year of people, well, I'm sending positive vibes your way, or I'm doing this. No, prayer is not some type of self-hypnosis that if you do it, all of the things are going to work out in your life the way you want. No, it's going to be the way God wills it. Prayer is not about what you want, but it's about God's will for you. David Allen put it this way, Prayer is spiritually real and a vibrant activity by which real needs come to a real God who has real love for us and real answers to give us. There's nothing more real and authentic than that. In a world filled with what we've used the word fake for any number of things, until six years ago, I'd never heard the term fake news. In a world filled with fake things, with propaganda, with, with, with things that are just not true. God is really there and really answers prayer. It's not my will be done, but my will be changed to what the will of God is. The question we should ask when we pray, and this is the question I have to ask myself, is this what you want, God, or is this what I want? And I think sometimes when we ask that question, we're not going to hear the answer that we want. And the Holy Spirit's going to tell us, no, this is what you want. And you need to adjust. And you need to change. 
Don't go to God or others with your mind made up for what you want already. Don't we do that? You know, when someone's stressed, there's a physiological, like a physiological response, and we go to people making a lot of assumptions about the situation based on past experience. Well, is that on the other person or is that on us? We come saying, this is how you are. When we get stressed, we tell people what they're feeling. <laughs> Isn't that a joke? I mean, telling someone what they're feeling, do we really know what people are feeling? Do we re- I mean, let's, let's be honest. Do we really, really know what someone's feeling unless they tell us? We can pray with confidence that God is listening and responding. I don't want to get God's voicemail. And if we treat God like we do, say, our friends or people we work with or people we call on the phone, that's what we're going to have. John wants to clarify how we can pray for each other, though. And this, this middle part of the passage, verse 16, starting in verse 16, I'm going to read through 17 here. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there, but there is sin that does not lead to death. So, that is super confusing when I read it the first time. Super confusing. So I'm going to try to unpack this for everybody. John says here, if you're a Jesus follower committing sin, not leading to death, ask God to give them life. So pray for your brother or sister in Christ, someone else that you know. But what are these sins that leads to death? I was like, well, this is an interesting thing to say here. Sins that don't lead to death. Sins that... Here are the options. I'm going to give you options. And then I'm going to kind of tell you what I, I think is going on here. Here are the options. One, it's a deadly sin. Literally will cause physical death, right? Some sins are. Like the sin of stupidity. Bungee jumping without a bungee. Like, I mean, come on. That's going to cause death. Walking off a cliff. There's some things that are just, you, you just don't do. Second, it could be blaspheme, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It could be blasphemy against the Holy Spirit just like, totally anti-God, more of an atheist worldview, could be that. The third is even further, and this is a word I don't use very often, but it's the word apostasy. Totally rejecting the good news of Jesus Christ. Totally rejecting, which means that you, you have heard the message, but you don't believe. You're stuck at stage one, and you are not to stage two of what 1 John talks about. The most likely option is the third. If the good news of Jesus Christ is totally rejected, it's leading to spiritual ruin, which is physical and spiritual death. It is possible to reject God that there is no hope for you. And I know that sounds crazy, right? Look at the Old Testament. Look at the story of Moses. When he goes to the Pharaoh, if you read very closely with the ten plagues, in the Old Testament, Moses is like, set my people free, right? It's almost like the rocky steps. He's going up the rocky steps. Edwin! Like he's just going in there to the Pharaoh, right? He goes in five times, and Pharaoh says no five times. You know what happens on the sixth time? There's something that's added, and you can look this up. It says God hardened his heart. He was done. He was done. He completely rejected the message. He completely rejected the message. But you know what's interesting about that story is it took five times. 
You know, God is not a God of first chances, second chances. He's, he's got a million chances for us. But God also is all-knowing. And if he was all-knowing, he knew where Pharaoh was going. He knew that he was going to completely reject the message. A true believer in Jesus Christ cannot get to that point. A true follower of Jesus Christ. You can struggle. You can have years where you're away from the church and from God and then, die, like, on your deathbed, receive him as your Savior. It can happen. But a true believer cannot get to that point. John's focus is for us to pray for sin, not to lead to death, physical, spiritual death, but for repentance. That's, that's the simple way of saying it. Jesus' followers pray for each other. That's a really simple point. We pray for each other. There's a lot of you that I'm seeing and I see faces that I pray for. I mean, who, who, and the question is, who are you praying for? In this morning... I had, I had someone walk up to me, ask me how I was doing, and I gave them the wrong answer. I said, good, and I moved on because I was like, hurried mindset, right? The problem is, when someone asks that that's a believer, not that we give this long list of prayer requests, but we should actually say something that maybe they can pray for. We should be real about it. Jesus in the Gospel of Luke prayed for Peter as Satan was going to sift him like wheat. This is right before Peter denies, denies Jesus three times. In Luke 22, 31 and 32, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, which is Simon Peter, so it's Peter, behold, Satan demanded to have you. Satan wants Peter just like he wanted Job. He wants Peter because guess what? If he gets Peter, that will kill the church because that was the instrument that God was using. He was using people like you and me. That he might, and then it says that he might sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith may not fail and that you, and that you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So, so let me think about this. This is before Peter denies Christ three times publicly and walks away feeling a complete failure. But it's also before Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit comes down and Peter preaches a message that... Thousands were led to Christ. Simon Peter was the rock which Jesus built the church. And you know what? God is not full of uh, a lack of humor. There is a double meaning because Petra or Peter is actually means rock in Greek. It literally means rock. Peter preached at the Pentecost and was martyred for the sake of Jesus Christ. He's martyred. Peter was a great example of those that need prayer. And if he was an example of someone that needed prayer, that was desperate enough that Jesus would spend his limited time on this earth to pray for, don't we all need prayer? Every single one of us. The sad thing is, sometimes we don't even have enough time to reflect on what we need prayer about. Think about it. I've, I've asked people at times, I'm like, hey, how can I pray for you? I don't know. There's got to be something. There's got to be something. We can't be indifferent about prayer. John ends 1 John with some very important promises. And we really need to look at these promises. Verse 18 through 20. I'm going to read that. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 
We know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding, that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Jesus is the one that protects us. The same one that was beaten, put on a cross, put into a tomb, and raised on the third day. The one that, when he resurrected, he had holes in his hands from the nails. He's the one who took the penalty for sin on the cross. It's, it's pretty simple here. And this is the biggest encouragement from this passage and from this whole book, I think. Jesus' followers are protected from the evil one. There is protection. I told you earlier, God's best is going to bring pain. But pain and protection are not the same thing. You ever notice that? So, I parent differently than my wife. Anyone say that that's married? Apparently differently? Okay. Here's how I parent. One of my kids goes on a playground. They fall off the playground. They're crying. They skin their knee, whatever it is. I say, all right, you can get up. You're okay. You're good. Any blood? I don't even walk over, okay? I know. I, you, you guys can report me to whoever you want. The only thing I worry about is head injuries because I don't want kids that are, you know, wearing helmets their whole life, right, because they got head injuries or something. I don't know. So that's very, yeah, head injuries are actually very serious. So my wife, on the other hand, same situation that happens. Kid falls off the playground. She is over there picking them up, scratching them off, fixing their boo-boos, like, like over there nurturing. I am telling you right now that I think the God of the universe doesn't parent one way or another. There are certain situations where you need the protection, where you need your wounds cleaned. And God's there to help you with that. And there's other situations where God said, pick yourself up. I've given you everything you need in Jesus Christ. You've got to keep moving. You've got the courage and the strength that I've given you. Go do it. <laughs> I don't think there's a perfect way to parent. We think of parenting as an either or sometimes. But God as the father is protecting us from the evil one. Sometimes we're going to encounter pain. I am sure that once my kids get to a certain age, I, I used to laugh do you guys ever do this? Like when your kids start crying about something, like if they, like my, my one-year-old stumbles when he's walking, falls, starts crying, I just start laughing and he starts laughing, right? Just totally changes the demeanor. You can't do that and God doesn't play with us like that. He doesn't try to just misdirect us. He allows us to go through a painful process to be healed. You might read this part right here and think your life should be a piece of cake. But that's nothing farther than the truth. That's, there's nothing farther away. When we're protected, we're protected from the touch of the evil one, but that word literally means to lay hands on or set fire to. Imagine how violent that sounds. I've been in crisis situations when I was in social work where I just had to grab a kid's shirt and get him out of a room because otherwise they were going to punch each other or there's something going on. It's literally like setting fire to someone. That is not... A small action, and that's what we're protected from. Satan cannot drag Jesus' followers into hell. It's simple as that. He wants to destroy our testimony, though. He wants every single one of you to be seen, if you are a part of the church, to be seen poorly by everyone else in the entire world. And he will do whatever it takes to do that. 
but we're protected from the evil one. You can't be agnostic about God. I'm not sure if he's there. I don't know. You can't do that. You're either from God or you're from the world. You can't be neutral. There are lots of things that you can try to be neutral on. Do you know what the number one conflict style in the United States is based on on social research? Avoidance. There's a correlation. We avoid things and we're neutral about things that we should not be neutral about. If that is what you feel, right? If you, if you are a Jesus follower and sin cannot live together in harmony, as it describes in the passage, if that is you, then you will feel conviction. The world won't feel that same conviction. It just, it, it's simple. Verse 19 says something that I think is so important. And I, I, am, I haven't preached in a few weeks, and I couldn't sleep last night because I was so excited to preach this morning. Can you tell? This passage is amazing. It says in verse 19, the whole world lies. The whole world. Not part of the world, not some of the world, not just the people that really are liars. This is not lies like to lie verbally, though. This means to be lulled to sleep. The world is sleeping while Satan has deceived them. If you've been born of God, you have a new life. You have new behavior. You're changed. You're different. If you, if you, continue, you, if you continue in your sinful behavior without any conviction, there's no sign of new life. There's no sign of change. And I've met people that have gone from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum, and you see fruit almost immediately. You don't see someone that's changed. My favorite thing is when I get in my office and I'm talking to someone that's new to Jesus Christ, new to faith, and they're in my office and they're just real, so they probably cuss a few times because they don't even know that maybe you shouldn't cuss in front of the pastor, right? It just doesn't even, and and I, I don't care. Honestly, it doesn't bother me. In fact, what it really does is tell me that person is actually being honest with me, which I have a hard time believing half the time because people want to act a certain way. And so it's, it's so real. But most of those conversations are not surrounding how they talk. They're conversations of, Pastor, what, what do I do? I know I need a change, but I don't even know where to start. I know Jesus got a hold of my heart, but I don't know what to do yet. And I'm like, it's not about doing, it's about being. And it goes through the, the four things that John describes. You believe now, now you're on the step going towards life, but you also need to know Jesus. The word know occurs four times in these last verses. Satan is trying to destroy the testimony of the church. I read recently in a book about leadership that for every high-profile pastor that falls, there's thousands of others that fall as well. And I thought about that for a second. And I thought, Satan specifically does attack people to destroy his church. If people at your work or your school or your friends know you're a believer... And you do something that's inconsistent with the Word of God. Not saying inconsistent with their perception of the Word of God. That's a whole different thing. But inconsistent with the Word of God. 
That's what Satan's trying to do every day of your life. Every time you wake up, that's the first thing on his plate. He's like, I'm going to do that. Let me transition a little bit to talk about knowing, though. So the word know occurs four times at the end here. I used to testify in court in Chicago. And I would go into court, and court's a little bit more intimidating than Steuben County. I just, I've learned, I've been in both courts. Steuben County is not nearly as intimidating. Same procedures. Um, and I would go in there because I was a case manager, and I would have to testify on behalf of, of the children and not the parents and try to figure out uh, what, what they needed. And I would go to the judge... And I remember quite distinctly, and the judge is on this high thing, like I'm on an arm bar, and they're like up here, okay? And I'm testifying. It's not like what you see on TV. I wasn't like in a a testimony box or whatever they call it. I don't know. And I said, I think that is true. And you would not believe the scolding I got for the next like five minutes from that judge. Do you know so? Do you know it's true or do you think it's true? I need to know what is true to make a decision here. Do you know? Do you know that you know? I'm like, I guess so. It's in the report. Like, 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 and then she's like, it's not I guess so. You do know that that happened. I said, well, I didn't physically witness it, but the therapist did. Da, 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 you know, like, it's here. Do you know? So do you know? Or do you just think you know? Do you know that Jesus gave you eternal life? Do you know that your prayers are answered? Do you know that you have confidence in Jesus? Do you know how to pray for others? Do you know to pray for others? Do you know that Jesus is protecting you? Do you know that you're from God? Do you know Jesus came and gave understanding? Do you know that Jesus is truth? He is the one who is truth. Do you know with certainty? If you look at the whole book of 1 John, do you know with certainty that Jesus is God? Jesus is the man. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is God's eternal son, second member of the Trinity. Do you know that? So I'm going to tell you a little story that actually happened down in Indianapolis. And this was in 1994. I know, I'm pulling out all these old things now. Northwest Airlines thought it would be really great in 1994 to offer some really odd round-trip tickets. For $59, you got a ticket for a one-day trip to a mystery American city. All you had to do was get to the Indianapolis airport on a certain day. And so you paid $59, and you would get to go somewhere for one day. Somewhere, anywhere. If you bought a ticket, you didn't find out until you arrived, until you got to the airport the day of the flight. There was no warning. Like, literally, they handed you, like a lottery, they just handed you a ticket. Even though this was kind of different, they sold out within a few hours of these tickets. This is early on in the internet, so people actually went to Indianapolis Airport and actually went there to get the ticket, so, or to, to, to buy the ticket in the first place. 1,500 people bought tickets. You're going to love what happens next. This is great. The tickets were first come, first serve. But not really any surprise, not everyone was happy. (laughs) I mean, what tickets are they going to give for $59? Where are you going? Timbuktu? I I don't know. Where where are you going? One person wanting to go to New Orleans, and they just, you know, wanted to pay $59 on the cheap, got a ticket for Minneapolis. 
Did I mention this was in the middle of winter? They ran through the airport yelling. It's from the news report. I'm directly quoting here. I have a ticket for the Mall of America. I'll trade it for anything. Because <laughs> they didn't want to go. They wanted to go to New Orleans. It might be a fun idea for a surprise vacation, right? And some of you, 50, let's, let's split the room. I'm going I'm to have you guys raise hands again. Which of you think this is the coolest thing ever? Like you want to do this or you would have paid the money, okay? Which of you said, I would never do that in the entire, like, like never, never, no way. Some of you are kind of in the middle, okay? This might be a fun idea for a surprise vacation. Normally, if you're looking for a specific destination, the last thing you want is a mystery destination, though, right? If you're like, hey, I want to go here. That's why you pay more to go to where you want to go. There's one time in my entire life that I don't want a mystery ticket. One time. Because I kind of, I would enjoy it. And that's the day of my death. I want to know where I'm going. I, I don't want... I don't want any uncertainty. I don't want to go to Minneapolis instead of New Orleans. Like, I, I don't want that. I don't want uncertainty when we face eternity, when we face heaven or hell. You know what? That's the only time I want to know. There's lots of things I don't know. And the older I get, the more I realize I don't know. Anyone else feel that way? <laughs> but I do know these things. Be sure you know. You know that Jesus gave you eternal life. You know that you can have confidence in Jesus. You know that your prayers are answered. You know to pray for others. You know Jesus is protecting you. You know that you're from God. You know that Jesus came and gave understanding. You know Jesus is truth. He is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life is what he said. You know with certainty that Jesus is God, Jesus the man, Jesus the, that, that he was the Christ, the Messiah, his eternal son, the second member of the Trinity. You know that. So when you see eternity, you're not looking for the mystery ticket that's cheap. We look for what's cheap, right? Anyone ever feel so exhausted, whether it be emotionally, physically, mentally, that you just go for the easiest route? That's not how we're made. When we follow Jesus, we follow him in his sufferings and his pain as well as the joy that we are going to talk about next week. The joy that was set before us because he died on the cross. The joy of eternal life. So when you see eternity, you'll know with certainty where you're going. There's no question of that. So do you know that you know? Do you know that you know that you know? Do you know that you know that you know? I got this sermon title from a pastor friend of mine that <laughs> so annoyed me because he would say, do you know that you know that you know that you know? He'd just keep going. And I was like, I was like, why do you keep saying that? It's frustrating. It was when I was younger. And I was like, he's like, because you need to know that you know. There's nothing worth more in this entire Bible than knowing that you know. We can create a church of people that just do good things. That's great. But if they don't know Jesus, and they don't know the things that are found in 1 John, what does it even matter? It's not a church. So what? 
So what can you know from this? Jesus' followers have and know eternal life. They have and know that. They have and know confidence in Jesus. They have and know answered prayer. And, and you know what's really easy to forget? Answered prayer. I went back, I, I was going through some of my stuff this week. Because, you know, when you're uh, stuck at home for this long, like I said, you get really bored. Went back through like journals I had from when I was like 18, 19, which I don't journal, so I was like shocked that I even had these. I didn't even remember I had them, right? And I went through and I read some answer prayer that God had. Some of those prayers were so selfish and small, and, and but God listened and He answered anyways because it was His will for me to see the answered prayer. That's what we need to not forget: is answered prayer. And this last part, this is why you're here this morning. This is why you're at home watching. This is why people come together and gather. Because Jesus' followers pray for each other and are protected from the evil one. Protection is not elimination of pain. I'm sure that's very clear at this point. But protection means he's not dragging you to set fire to you in the pit of hell. That is, it's as simple as that. There's nothing else that I, I would want to be assured of. Because sometimes I look and I see things that I do or things that others do. And I see, I'm like, was that person, what were they thinking? You ever say that to yourself? Right? What was I thinking? Oh, I don't know why I did that. We need to pray for each other. So I'm, I'm going to encourage you this week. I'm going to give you a very practical application. It's not in the slides. Find someone, either in this room or someone that you see on a weekly basis in some way. And ask them what you can pray for. And if they go the uh-huh, you know, or I don't know, or whatever, pray for them. Pray for their spiritual health. Pray for their physical health. Pray for their mental health, their emotional health. I have never seen in my lifetime more anxious, depressed people in this world and more people in need of Jesus Christ. And you guys all are the messengers. It's not me standing up here on the pulpit. It's each and every one of you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we just ask God that your presence be felt not just in this room, but with those watching online in homes. We ask that this would be a time of prayer. And so if we're watching online, that God, that we would just raise our hands to pray to you or, or get on our knees in our homes. And, and God, and hear, God, that this would be a time of, of redemption and prayer. God, there is someone here in this room that needs to pray for someone else to repent needs to pray for repentance themselves and I pray that today would be that day I pray that your Holy Spirit would be felt and experienced and known I pray that as we list these things that we know based on 1 John God that you would make it clear to all of us in this room that we can know these things and we can be reassured and assured and reassured again for the rest of our lives on this earth. 
But God, let us continue with an eternal focus, looking forward to eternity that is going to be so much greater period of time and space than now. So God, as we go and and go into a, a, a month that we focus on Thanksgiving, God, help us to be thankful for your spirit and be vocal about our thankfulness. We say all this in Jesus' name.